Acts 20, starting verse 12. Hear the word of the Lord. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story, and he was picked up dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, and put his arms around him. Do not be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Then they went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, Paul left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, this Sunday marks the end of an era. That's more dramatic than I mean for it to be. But since January, so for about six months now, other than during a short break during the season of Lent, we've been in this mini-series that's a part of our larger series looking throughout the whole book of Acts. So we're in this mini-series called God Speak, God Speak, where for the last six months we've been following Paul, following the story of Paul on these, what's commonly called his missionary journeys, as he traveled to different places and different cultures, as he confronted the systems and ideologies of his day with the story of the risen Jesus, as he spoke the message of Jesus in different places and different cultures to different people in ways that, that different people could, could understand and make sense of and grab hold of and rally around. And so this week, we end our series called God Speak, the end of an era. And uh, we get to end it in a really sweet and cool way uh, because we're actually this week revisiting a city where Paul has already been on his journeys, the city of Troas. Um, he was here in Acts chapter 16. Uh, this is where Paul famously received what's called the Macedonian call, where Paul had this dream and from that dream, he moved into Macedonia for a season. He went to Philippi and continued the spread of this good news about Jesus. So he, we're revisiting this place called Troas. And it's a cool conclusion to this series because it's kind of like a movie that has a really satisfying ending. I often see movies and they just don't end the way that I want them to end. So in this story, we have a satisfying ending to these missionary journeys of Paul because we get to see what's the fruit, what's the result of some of Paul's labors? What's the fruit of Paul traveling around and sharing with people this good news about a risen Lord and King Jesus? And we see um, men and women who formerly did not follow Jesus but are now committed to walking in the ways of Jesus. We see them already very early on in the history of the Christian tradition, a meeting together on Sundays and doing things like communion and uh, reading scripture together and listening to scripture expounded and taught. Uh, so we see all these things happening. 
Now, upon first glance, at least for me this week, as I started studying and meditating and reflecting on this story, upon first glance, you might think like that there's not a lot in this story for you. Like it's a really good story. I think it's actually, it's actually probably pretty tragic at first, but I, I think it's kind of comical and ironic. But what's in it for us? Like this old story about some Christians gathered in an upper room and Paul going on and on and on. Like, y'all think we preach a long time here at Christ City. This guy, he had some stuff to say. And there's, then there's this young man, probably a teenager. His name is Eutychus, which, can you guess what Eutychus means? His name means lucky. Come on. There's some ir- irony and comedy in that. So this, this young man whose name means lucky trying to stay awake, but he just can't track. And so he falls out of a window to his death as Paul is preaching. And then Paul runs down the stairs with all the other Christians. And Paul kind of jumps on him and he's resurrected through the apostle Paul. Don't be alarmed, Paul said. He's, he's alive. His life is in him. And so they all go back upstairs and spend all night together sharing stories and food and hanging out. Like the adrenaline is probably pumping at that point, right? Like really, really good story. But what is, what is in that for us? What's, what's here for us? And I've actually become convinced that there's something really important, actually potentially really transformative here in this story for you and for me this morning. So I encourage you to sort of lean in Uh, to take a posture of openness to see what God may stir in us this morning. So let me first pray towards that end. Pray with me, please. Lord, I do pray this morning that you would meet with us and that you would stir something up in us. Holy Spirit, that we would Leave this place having met with you, having encountered the living God, refreshed with with new resurrection life. So Lord, we invite you and we desire to meet with you this morning. We pray in Christ's name, amen. So first, let's look at this story very briefly. And then I wanna focus in on the two main characters in the story, Paul and this young man, Lucky, named Eutychus. Um, So in this story, like I said, we see followers of Jesus in the first century gathered on a Sunday evening, probably late at night. And Paul's here in Troas for, uh, he's here for a short time. And so he wants to soak up all the time he can with these people whom he loves. These are his friends. And he wants to soak up as much time as he can He has some stuff to say to them, so he wants to impart as much wisdom and teaching as he can in this short time. It's not like for us if, like if I were to leave today and be like, man, I really wish I would have said this. Like in our 21st century day, like I could just write a blog post or send out a tweet or send you an email or make a phone call. Like Paul doesn't have that luxury. 
So he's got a short time with these fathers of Jesus, these people, these men and women whom he loves deeply, and he wants to make as much of that time as he possibly can. So they're gathered on a Sunday evening. We see that the room is lit with lamps. It's probably warm in the room. And Christians, um, like I said, are already gathering on Sundays. This is already a habit, a practice for them, gathering on the day that Jesus would have risen from the dead, Sunday, the third day. But this, in Roman culture, was a work day. That's why they're meeting at night and not at 10.30 a.m. like we are this morning. And so all of the fathers of Jesus gathered in this room, like Eutychus usually gets a bad rap. Usually, here's how this sermon goes. Like, what's in it for us? I can preach a really long time, and you just better be okay with it. In fact, you better not sleep, because look at what happens if you sleep. That's not the direction I'm going this morning. Like, Eutychus gets a bad rap, but, like, he was working all day, and his job was probably very physically demanding. In fact, we see him, like, giving it a shot here. Like, we see him trying his best. I imagine maybe he's sitting in the window because he recognizes like, man, I'm feeling really, today was a long day. I'm really tired. I got to do all that I can to stay present and engaged here. Like Eutychus is doing okay. He's not a bad guy. He's lucky. Um, We know that Paul, and this is one reason that I love scripture because scripture is not afraid to critique some of the important characters in scripture. We know that Paul He has a lot to say, but he's not necessarily the best public speaker. Um, In fact, in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul critiques himself. He says that I know that I'm untrained and unskilled in public speaking. And so we see like Paul is, is just going on and on and on. He's untrained, he's unskilled, he's not the most entertaining sort of communicator, which unfortunately, this is a total tangent, is a very high value in our day. Like preaching has to be entertaining and I have to laugh a lot. But we see the Apostle Paul, like that's not the highest value for him. So all uh, the tangent, maybe we just need to rethink our values. All right, moving on. Um, So Eutychus is trying his best here. Like, let me sit in the window. I'm tired. Maybe this will help me. It actually has the opposite effect because when he falls asleep, he falls into a deep sleep and boom, topples out of the window to his death. And so Paul and the other disciples who are gathered in this room like sprint down the stairs, sprint to Eutychus. And we see Paul like embrace Eutychus and the life floods back into Eutychus. It's pretty amazing. And so then these men and women are like, they're filled with energy and excitement. They're comforted, they're encouraged. So they head back upstairs. And we see here that they they continue to hang out, to eat food together, to share stories together until daylight. It's just like, it's this beautiful picture of like a time when you're with really close friends, people that you love really deeply and you're having such a good time, you're like, I just do not want this night to end. It's that sort of night with Paul and his friends hanging out together. So let's look at these two main characters, Paul and Eutychus. Because as we dig beneath the surface here, I think there's something for us. Now, Paul, I don't know about you, but I've always imagined Paul as sort of like 
like sort of this um, like bulldog of a man, you know, like, like always looking for a confrontation, you know, like really loud, always looking for some sort of like philosophical argument to get into, always looking to, to challenge people. Like that's how I imagine Paul. And Paul definitely is, like he's certainly a man filled with passion. Like you can't read anything that he wrote in scripture. You can't read any of these stories in Acts and not see the sort of passion that he has for the story of Jesus as risen king and Lord. But we see in this story a different side of Paul that I've been really encouraged by this week. In this story, we see Paul as a tender pastor, as a tender pastor. Just look at the way that Paul interacts with his friends in this story. Like it's really clear that he loves them. Like he wants to spend time with them. He cares deeply for them. He has affection for them. He's very tender in this story. And you see this in some of the letters that Paul wrote. I wanna show you one time we see this really clearly in the letter that he wrote to the church at Thessalonica. In 1 Thessalonians, he, he wrote this to these followers of Jesus in Thessalonica, and you can see this kind of affection and tenderness and love just kind of gushing out of Paul for these people. Look at what he says with me. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our very lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Do you see the tenderness there? Like a mother caring for and nursing her newborn infant. Like a good dad who loves his kids and wants his kids to, to grow up and mature and be wise and healthy and whole in this world. There's such tenderness and kindness in Paul here. And then think about Paul and Eutychus. Like the way that Paul, like Paul is the first one to get to Eutychus. Like Paul is sprinting to Eutychus, like leaping downstairs. And we see him like take Eutychus and embrace him. Like I just see compassion and mercy like flooding out of Paul towards Eutychus. He embraces him like, the picture that comes to mind again is like a, a good dad who loves his little boy. And I just imagine all of the emotion that Paul is feeling as he sees Eutychus lying there and as he moves towards him and embraces him. Like what love and mercy and compassion we see in Paul, a very tender pastor. So a few weeks ago, it was a really significant moment for Christ City Church as we installed new elders at our church and we moved to an egalitarian leadership structure where men and women are serving as elders together. And so we installed as elders 
Stacy Martin and Rachel Remington and Suzanne Abadie, Joyce Souter. And so there are six of us pastoring Christ City Church. There are six of us now serving as elders. And I say that to say this, that we're certainly not there yet and we're far from perfect, but I want you to know that this is the sort of pastor that we all aspire to be. Like pastors, elders who are filled with tenderness and compassion and mercy and love and affection and kindness towards you. Like this is the sort of pastor that that we want to be for Christ City Church. And this is the sort of pastor for you, whether it's here at Christ City Church or wherever you find it, this is the sort of pastor that you should desire and hope for and look for. And again, I keep critiquing our modern day, but in our modern 21st century, especially American sort of Christian subculture, the value often for a pastor is how entertaining he or she can be on a Sunday and hold your attention so that you, like, like Eutychus, do not fall asleep. Maybe how, how like inspirational of tweets a pastor can, can send out. And like maybe that's okay for a minute. Like maybe that'll help you mature to a certain place. But I don't know if it'll be like Paul and this Thessalonian church, like wanting you to grow up and mature. What your soul needs, what my soul needs is a pastor who will care for me and love me for the long haul, who can know me like Paul knows these men and women whom he loves very deeply. So that's what we desire at Christ City, a place to belong and a place to know God where we can grow and mature together as we're pastored and led well. So I love that picture of Paul, a tender pastor. But there's also Eutychus here in this story. And of course, something supernatural happens to Eutychus. And I know before we kind of dig into that a little bit, I know and I totally get that this is the stumbling block for many of you when it comes to embracing this Christian faith, it's things like this. Like this kind of, like it is a crazy story. We, we can be honest enough to say that this is a crazy story where a man falls from a window and dies and then Paul, who is very much a man himself, like restores him to life. Resurrection happens here. And so I know, I know that for many people it's like, okay, so I'm supposed to buy into this. Like, that's a bit of a challenge. It's a bit of a stretch, and I get, I get that. And of course, it, it harkens, like this mini-resurrection harkens back to the resurrection, which is the whole crux of our faith as Christians, as followers of Jesus, that Jesus died, and like we said in the Apostles' Creed earlier, that he rose again from the dead. And like it all rises or falls on that moment, So it's like, okay, so I'm supposed to buy into that, that there was a dead man who came back to life, and that's the man that I'm trusting as Lord and King. Like, that's a bit of a challenge for me. I get that. I I hear you. And so I'll just say two brief things. First, I want you to know that your doubts 
are very much welcome here. And in fact, your doubts can be an invitation into vulnerable and rich relationship that can be good and beneficial and transformative for you and for other people that you're in a relationship with. So I would encourage you to let your doubts be an invitation to move towards people in relationship and not to isolate, to like go into a cave and hole up, like I'm gonna figure this out, but instead move towards people. It's a vulnerable and a candid thing to talk about your doubts. That's a really scary thing. So let that be an invitation to rich and deep and good relationship. And I'd also say that I'm really glad you're wrestling in especially sort of our American South, these sorts of truths and realities are things often that people just like hear and they don't even question and they just like kind of move on in their life. And they call that faith. But that's a faith that I'm sort of skeptical of. Like these are big and weighty things that are worth your wrestling. And so I'm, I'm glad, I'm encouraged for where you are. And I would say, as you wrestle, here's the kind of one, one, one nugget I would give you. Oftentimes, we wanna put the burden of proof on the Christian, on the pastor, which is good and valid. Like, I want you to prove to me, to give me an, a compelling account of how and why I should buy into this. And that's, like, that's, that's totally valid and good. But I want you to see that the burden of proof also lies on you. Because it's really clear, like it's undeniable that something happened in this first century world that like turned the world upside down. And so the burden of proof on you to like discern and wrestle with what is it that happened that can explain all the things that took off in the world. And then, like I said, lean into relationship. Like I would love to be in a relationship and wrestle over doubts and talk about my own doubts and that would be a good thing to do over a cup of coffee. So lean into relationship. If you want to talk more, I'm at least here and there are lots of others here for you too. So Eutychus, look again at verse 10. Let's, let's kind of dig deep into what, what happens to Eutychus here in this story. Eutychus falls out of the window. Eutychus dies and then we see Paul. Paul went down. He threw himself on the young man. He put his arms around him. He embraced him. And he said, I think probably to Eutychus and to all the others who were crowding around behind him, he exclaims, he says, don't be alarmed. He's alive. Other translations say, don't be alarmed. His life is in him. Now, I want you to imagine if you're Eutychus, or if you're one of those people gathered around watching, what's happening here? Like imagine the, like the hope that would explode in your heart. The joy and comfort that would explode, that would well up and overflow in you. Don't be alarmed. He's alive. His life is in him. These are throughout the entire story of Scripture, all of the hundreds and hundreds of pages in our Bible, these are some of the most hopeful, joy-filled, 
comforting, encouraging, amazing words that we find. Don't be alarmed. He's alive. His life is in him. And it's so hopeful. Like it, 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 if you can really like put yourself in their shoes and imagine the situation, like it, it does something inside of you because this sort of like hopeful, joy-filled theme is a theme throughout the entire larger story of scripture. And it's something that you, deep down in your bones, long for, even if you can't see it on the surface. The hope of the story of scripture, the hope of all of humanity, the hope of your life is this. That yes, death is an undeniable reality that we face and that scripture's honest about and that we face in our world, personally in our lives, death is an undeniable reality. But the hope of the story of scripture is this, that death does not get the last word. That Jesus, by his death and by his resurrection, has swallowed up death in victory. And this, this brings new purpose and new meaning and fresh hope to your life and to every nook and cranny of our world, even that formerly smelled of death. That Jesus is alive. He is alive. His life is in him. Don't be alarmed. Have hope. Have comfort. Be encouraged. There's meaning. There's purpose. Now, this is true for you, whether you have experienced literal physical death up close or not. Um, in my own life, in my own story, um, I had not yet experienced sort of literal death of someone I really loved until like fairly recently. And I know that's the story for, for some of you as well. But of course, as, as you live long enough in a relationship with people, like you will experience death in a way that like punches you in the gut. But even if you haven't experienced that, whether you've experienced that or not, like all of our lives are marked by all sorts of, of many deaths, miniature deaths. It's just, just sort of repeating cycle all throughout our lives, these sort of deaths that we encounter during our days, weeks, months, and years, and decades. Our lives are filled and marked by these experiences. Seasons are experiences when you experience disappointment or loss or something that you really hoped for not coming to fruition. When you experience a relationship that crumbles or when you have a truly traumatic and harmful experience. When you walk through a crisis that just flips your world upside down. All of our lives are marked by these sorts of many deaths. And these experiences leave us vulnerable and bare and raw. Like 
these experiences strip us of everything that we thought was important and necessary in life. And we're just left sort of exposed. And it's in this moment for Eutychus, and it's in this moment for all of us as well, when we can experience not death, but life. Let me in fact show you a parallel that is hopeful and good and big and really encouraging. First, in Acts chapter 20, verse 10, on the screen, I want you to see the parallel here. But Paul went down and bent over Eutychus, taking him in his arms. He said, don't be alarmed, for his life is in him. And then look at the parallel between Acts 20, verse 10, and Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. In Acts 20, there's but Paul. And then in Ephesians chapter 2, there's but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Just like Paul and Eutychus, in your moment of death, God moves towards you and offers you life in Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. Just like Paul and Eutychus, the compassion and mercy and tenderness and love in which Paul moved towards Eutychus, just like Paul and Eutychus, God, in your moment of death, moves towards you in tenderness and compassion and mercy and love and extends to you life in Jesus through the power and through the presence of the Holy Spirit. John chapter one, verse four says about Jesus that in him was life and the life was the light of men. In Jesus, there is life the thing that all of us are hoping and longing and wishing for. And then Suzanne opened the service by reading Psalm chapter 16. And that Psalm closes with this verse. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. In a world marked by death and lives marked by many deaths, don't you find like something happening in your heart, like longing for that? You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. So this morning, here's what we're gonna do. Just like every week, we're gonna come forward and take communion. But after our time of communion, after you make your way back to your seat, there's gonna be a chance later in the service, and don't worry, the, the sermon is shorter than it usually is, so there's, there's time for this, and this is important. Um, there will be space later in the service for you if you want. It's definitely not a requirement. It's an encouragement. There will be space for you to come forward and have a pastor or a leader in our church, pray that you 
would experience this sort of life. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Whether you're in a day or a week or a month or a year or a season, whatever it is of death right now or not, that's something that I find myself longing for and wanting and desiring. So if that's you, there will be space later for you to come forward and for us to pray that you could experience that, experience life and refreshment in Jesus. So let me pray for us and then we'll move into our time of communion. Let's pray together. Lord, I want to experience this sort of life in Jesus. You moving towards me and giving me life in Jesus through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. I long to experience that. And I long for my friends and others gathered in this room this morning to experience that too. And so Holy Spirit, would you be at work as we come and feast on Jesus in communion, as we sing and worship, as we pray over one another later in the service. We pray, Holy Spirit, that your presence would be very felt and experienced. Amen.